John Reed, I am live again, and I'm joined by Michael Brenner. He and I have a passion for content. He's with NewsCred. He's always traipsing up between uh, Philly and New York. I guess you're in Philly right now, though, right? That's right. Well, the weather's lovely in both locations, so I'm sure it was tough to choose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I actually have good lighting for once. I usually tape in the evenings, and I actually have some sunlight. So uh, hopefully we can shed a little light as well on this topic. We're going to do uh, two shoots together one kind of a higher level, and then we're going to dig in a little deeper for those of you that really want to get into nitty-gritty. Michael and I have had some interesting correspondence around content strategy, uh, CMO dilemmas. I almost used the word disruption, Michael. I was going to say CMO disruption, but I kind of said, well, you know, it's too much of a buzzword, but uh, we've had some good talks about that, and it's actually central to your business as well. Yeah. Um, so for kind of the, the – to get at your motivations a little bit, I wanted to go back to a post that you wrote pretty provocative title, Why I Bet My Career on Content Marketing, uh, which you put up three months ago. T tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, John, as you know, and, and maybe some of your audience know, I spent, um, gosh, it was almost seven years at SAP uh, and, and really, you know, had a great run and, and fortunate enough to spend some time with some really amazing folks that you and I both know. Uh, I started in the, in the uh, uh, North American areas, had a digital marketing before it was even called that drive and demand generation for the folks uh, in the in the region for sales and then moved into a, into a role that was at first undefined. Um, Jonathan Becker, uh, who just recently former CMO, now chief digital officer over there, wanted to transform the organization. So speaking of CMO dilemmas, um, was looking to transform from more you know outbound to a slightly more inbound type of approach. And we weren't sure exactly what to call it. We weren't sure what the real problem was. Um, I was put on point to try to help him solve that, and and the problem we found was a content problem. And so, uh, so the last three and a half years I was there was head of uh, VP of of um, content strategy for the organization. Um, I had absolutely no authority to do anything, purely purely an influencer role. Uh, but I was fortunate enough, and I had the perspective, I think, to see across the organization and see, you know, just how much bad content was being created across the organization content that wasn't really directed towards an audience. It was really created because executives were asking for it, you know, sort of check the box kind of marketing. And um, so, you know, built a content marketing practice. I found NewsCred in the process. We became a customer. SAP is a customer of NewsCred's uh, workflow and uh, workflow software, editorial calendaring and licensed content. Um, and then started talking to our CEO here at NewsCred, Shafkat, uh, and, and really started talking about how I felt like marketing had a marketing problem. We could talk a little bit about that. I talked about how I thought CMOs were really facing, you know, dilemma, um, disruption. Um, you know, I think even in some of their own surveys, you know, CMOs have said they have no idea how to handle digital disruption. And so, um, you know, I was seeing that I see content as the answer. And so that's really why I bet my, my career on content marketing, not only with, with NewsCred as, you know, the leading content marketing platform, but, but because I believe that content marketing is going to save marketing from itself. Right. And, and in your post, you talk about how you believe content marketing is no longer even a question, but basically an imperative for every brand, regardless of size, in every industry. And you talk about how we're now firmly in control of our content. So we're opting into what we want to watch, and we're opting out, basically, of what we, what we don't. And I think this is a fascinating issue because the implications are, Michael, that, um, that you can't buy attention very easily anymore if you can do it at all, right? Isn't that where we're headed here? I mean, that's exactly, that was sort of the tagline that we ran around with uh, at SAP was, you know, let's start attracting the audience that we're trying to reach instead of buying it. 
And, uh, you know, and, and it's easy to start looking at the stats, right? I mean, you see the amount of TV advertising we skip. You see the amount of direct mail we throw in the trash. Um, one of the recent sur uh, surveys, statistics I've been using a lot is that um, did a survey of executives uh, in Fortune 2000 companies and asked them about cold calling. 90% of executives said they will never take a cold call from anyone for any reason. And so, you know, uh, yeah, sure, 10% of them are going to take that call. Um, you know, 0.01% of banner ads are going to get a click. Who the heck knows who's clicking on it? But, you know, we're sort of, you know, counting successful marketing in the margins, these, you know, less than 0.1% you know, type of response rates, click-through rates, and clearly it's not a sustainable approach. And so Seth Godin has this great quote, content marketing is all the marketing that's left because A, it's trackable, and B, it's it's really providing and creating and publishing the kind of stuff that our audience is looking for instead of the stuff that they're trying to tune out. Right, and I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much sold on this idea because I reinvented my entire career based on finally giving up trying to sell my digital content and starting to give it away, which is the other barrier that you run into. Yeah. Once, I once I surrendered to that, everything dramatically changed for me. My entire life and career changed. And one thing I can really validate is this whole thing around the cold call because one of the amazing things about uh, developing content and developing an audience that trusts and respects you is that there's very few cold calls anymore from that point, right? Because when you contact people, it's, like, it's almost as if they already know you and they know your values and they know about your ideas. So I'm pretty sold on that. But, mm -hmm. but then there's a lot of companies that are still struggling with this whole ROI of content, right? So they get the idea, but then they're having trouble proving the value on a certain level. Do you run into that? And if so, like, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, you know, I have some, um, I have some pithy comments that I, I, I save for, for certain audiences. Uh, and then I have a, you know, an educated, thoughtful comment. Um, my pithy comment I'll share with you uh, is, you know, content marketing is infinitely more trackable than marketing overall. So if any, you know, if anyone is looking for the ROI of content or, or content marketing, um, I am damn certain that it is infinitely more trackable and provable than the ROI of marketing overall. So, you know, it's it's a trackable medium uh, delivered in digital channels that return digital signals that allow us to see who we're reaching, how they're engaging, and whether they're converting. Um, so, so my pithy answer is, you know, if you're tracking ROI for marketing at all, I can guarantee you that content marketing A is trackable and 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 demonstrable and B is something that I can show is even better than traditional traditional marketing approaches and and the you know uh, I know it's a B2C example but Julie Fleischer from Kraft uh, you know she it's funny because her role is sort of data and content um, she also has advertising budgets at Kraft and her analysis showed that content marketing is four times more effective than even their most targeted digital advertising so retargeting, banner ads. Um, so as smart as they can be with traditional sort of digital, uh, you know, outbound approaches, they found that content marketing is not not 4% or 40%, but four times more effective. So that's kind of my pithy answer. Um, the, the well thought out and... That wasn't, and, that wasn't too pithy. No, you know, it's, I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> it's too, it's, it's not late enough in the day for me to get too, too comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, the thoughtful answer is it, it really comes down, ROI is an equation. It's a math equation. Um, with content, I think it gets a little more interesting, and we saw this at SAP. So there's three components. Number one is how much did it cost to create the content? If you're going to talk about ROI, 
you've, you've got to be an organization that's willing to document the cost that your organization invests in creating the content to begin with. The second piece is not necessarily yet the effectiveness of the return, but it's actually utilization. So um, I don't know if I can share this, but at SAP, it was more than 50% of the content being created inside the organization was completely unutilized. I mean, it never, re it never reached the targeted audience or channel or recipient that either requested it or was intended to be created for. Um, serious decisions, I think I, I can validate that, that number, said that it was something like 60% on average in the B2B companies they've benchmarked. So we know there's tremendous waste. So every piece of content that gets created and doesn't, receive, doesn't reach any audience is complete waste. So ROI, again, to start is just stop creating the crap that no one wants, right? And then the third component is, is there effectiveness in the content you are distributing and publishing? Um, and that's the piece that most people talk about, vanity metrics and page views and all those kinds of things. But, uh, but you know, you have to do those first two things first. Right. Um, now, one more piece of it is uh, some media watchers, Tom Frensky is one that comes to mind who has a lot of experience over at Silicon Valley Watcher. He's very, very skeptical of the idea that brands can essentially become media outlets, which is sort of the implications of what you and I are talking about. Yeah. So do you think that brands can create uh, content that's compelling enough for to, to capture the audience when you're, I mean, after all, you're, you're not just competing with your direct competitors, you're competing with Game of Thrones, you're competing right. with Facebook, you're competing with uh, whoever's instant messaging you on uh, WhatsApp. That yeah. Can brands compete against all that noise? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and the best example, I, I, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave Tom out of it. There's a number of, of people, um, and I think especially... Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't really just about Tom. I was just yeah. using him as one example. No, and, and I actually appreciate the, the sort of the challenge um, of, of, of responding to that, that opinion. There's, I think there's, there's some level of purity in the thinking around publishing and journalism that is one component. The other one is the just the thought that brands can't be truly authentically helpful, um, which I think if you just look at a corporate website, right? So let's let's take you know devil's advocate. Just look at a corporate website. A corporate website, as terrible as most of them are, are helpful. They're helpful just at a very specific stage of the buying cycle. It's that stage of what is it that I sell and why am I better than the competition? All content marketing is seeking to do. It's not trying to become the New York Times. It's just simply trying to answer earlier stage questions that those customers are looking for. So, you know, it's funny. We did an analysis at SAP on who the influencers are around topics like big data and cloud computing. And, you know, there's this guy who had a Twitter handle, at John ERP. I don't know if you've heard of him. Oh, my but, God, yeah. You know, he was, he, he was an influencer. <laughs> He, he was our competition in the space of cloud computing, right? So it's exactly to your point of, you know, can we create content equally as good as somebody like, like you? And, and the answer was, well, we, we've got to try, right? We have information. We have expertise. We can help educate our audiences. Are we going to become as good as CIO.com? Probably not. But can we be helpful to our audience? Absolutely. And I think that's, that's the difference is, is sort of, I think, the thinking of, are we trying to become real publishers? No, we're just trying to be helpful to an audience. Okay, I want to wrap our first shoot, but just can you give me one brief answer in closing? If you were talking to a B2B customer of decent size that was kind of struggling with their content strategy for 2015, what would you tell them? 
Yeah, the, I mean, the biggest mistake we see uh, is something that, that only the CMO or even the CEO can help with, and that's culture. Uh, the brands that are, are successful are the ones that put their customer first. I just talked about it. They're the ones that, that make their mission to help their audience, not just by selling product, but by helping them solve the problem. It's like kind of like getting back to the genesis of why they exist. We talk about um, brand purpose. We look at Jim Stengel's Grow Index, right? The companies that are successful are the ones that understand their core purpose, not from like a sustainability or a feel-good or um, you know, sort of a hippy dippy kind of kind of a perspective, but truly from a why that company exists, who they serve, and for what purpose. The brands that understand that they can pull their content strategy straight out of their mission statement from an organization. So it starts with a cultural bias towards helping their customers. Some companies have it. Some companies are still pushing products like it's 1935. So you know that that's the core difference I think we see with companies that get it and the companies that don't. No arguments for me, Michael. I would simply add that if you have a culture problem, you're going to have a big social media problem because uh, bad culture around your mission it reflects very poorly on social channels. So mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think that's a really good good point to end on for now. So we're going to wrap this shoot. If you're more interested in CMO dilemmas and how Michael uh, intends to resolve some of them with his new company, we're going to talk about that in our second shoot and go into much more detail. So for now, thanks a lot for joining me, Michael. Thank you. Thank you.